It's time for episode 408 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the TikTok of tech podcasts. I'm not exactly sure how that's true or not true, so you get to uh, make your own assumptions there. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I'm joined across the internet by my good pal and dungeon buddy, it's Dan, the man, Morin. Hello, Dan. Hi, Micah. Little known fact, TikTok Tech Talk was the original name of this podcast, but it just didn't really make it out of beta. Wow. TikTok Tech Talk. Yeah, I could see why. I just made that up. It's fine. <laughs> tick tock, tick tock. Well, uh, you can hear the ticks and the talks playing in the background, meaning we've got to keep things rolling along. Uh, so I should introduce one of our guests to my left, a developer advocate and the host of Conduit right here on Relay FM, in parentheses, switch on. It is Jay Miller. Welcome to the show, Jay. Happy to be here. Is this where I hit the woe? <laughs> yes, indeed. And to my left this week, you know him, you love him, YouTube star and the internet's number one Aaron Sorkin fan. It's Renee Ritchie. Welcome back, Renee. See, I was going to say Tree of Woe and go complete Conan direction, but now I feel like I have to live up to the Josiah Bartlett. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make it hard on you. Uh, well, while you continue to make references I do not understand, I will kick the show off by talking about my topic. Uh, I've started using the new hide my email feature from Apple. It's coming in the next version of iOS, and it basically lets you generate, uh, randomized emails that you can use for different sites that you sign up for. Uh, DuckDuckGo is doing the same now. My question for you is, what do you do to manage spam, if anything? And this can be a multi-pronged approach. I'm just curious what your methods are for dealing with spam and if it involves randomized emails. Jay, we'll start with you. Um, I'm probably going to answer one of the products that I think we've all used at some point, SaneBox. Uh, anything I don't like, same black hole that joker and uh, never have to think about it ever again. And then when there is a bunch of email in there, I do try another tool called Maelstrom, uh, I can never say it right, Maelstrom, which just allows me to bulk delete stuff that I uh, don't need in my archive. So yeah, those those two products kind of it, and uh, it seems to be working. I can't decide if I'm too lazy or working too hard because I don't really use a lot of third party tools. I do use the, I've started using the Hi My Email thing as well because I'm using the betas on a bunch of my devices. I try to, I go on fits of like unsubscribing from mailing lists and stuff as much as I can. Um, and obviously, built in spam filters in the mail.app, I sort of rely on those as sort of touchy as they are at times. But I, I feel like, you know, Jay just named like two tools. It's like, oh God, I should try those out, huh? Instead of going through and manually trying to unsubscribe from all these things or figure out how I can get off these lists or just giving up and deleting the email whenever it comes in. Um, but other than that, yeah, I don't get a ton of email. I think the biggest problem I have, I think I mentioned in the past is like years ago, signing up for like PR emails on my personal account when I was still a freelancer and didn't have like a work address. <laughs> and I will never escape those PR emails. They will just keep coming until the heat death of the universe. So bummer for me, I guess. Renee, what about you? 
Yeah, I I feel that so much, Dan, because since I left, you know, working at iMore, uh, I just that, that whole email address went away. And I feel like I just haven't used email really since then, because anybody who really wants to get my attention knows how to reach me beyond email. So I glance at it occasionally when I have to, and then I declare email bankruptcy regularly. Like I get to inbox zero by just marking all as red over and over again. And that seems to handle a lot of it. Otherwise, it's just the the built in the built in tools that they have seem to work for me. But the the nastiest thing that I've noticed recently, and it started, of course, where all the root of all evil starts, and that's Facebook, is I stopped I stopped going to Facebook. I had to leave the account up because there were a ton of Mobile Nations things attached to it, so I couldn't delete it. But I stopped going, and I start, they started getting emails every day saying you're missing these conversations. I ignored them, and then they escalated to text messages which I didn't know was a thing, but they started just relentlessly texting me every day. And I, have, I it took me forever to figure out how to turn that off. So I'm just, I'm, I'm dealing with the email the best I can and hoping a few other companies start to escalate. I wouldn't say I'm missing them, Bob. <laughs> um, interesting, interesting. So for me, I, yeah, I have been using the email thing because then I can filter the emails when they come in. Um, if they are to this address, then go ahead and, you know, move them here or mark them as this. Um, I use for my work email, I use a lot of Gmail's built in filtering. I love that you can turn any search, uh, that you do in Gmail into a smart filter that can then filter out your email. Uh, and so I'm pretty relentless about that. Um, but outside of that, I haven't used any of the other tools that are available. Uh, I used to use the AirMail application. And one of the fun things I liked about AirMail was this option to uh, pretend to bounce an email, which would tell the listserv on the other side that the email address they were emailing to is no longer available, uh, like a mailer daemon situation. And that was a very handy thing where as long as you had your privacy settings turned on to where it can't load those tracker pixels, uh, you bounce the email and then they think that that email address is not uh, real or valid anymore. Very handy. It's kind of like return to sender in in real life. So all sorts of spam options out there. Uh, but I think the best one is the one that Renee came up with, which is just completely ditching your old email address and uh, kind of starting over. Alrighty, thank you all for your answers on that. Let us move to our second topic, which comes from Jay. So in the last few weeks, GitHub released this tool called Copilot, which is basically auto text, but for entire blocks of code. And there's a lot of questions around, you know, is it okay to use and all this stuff. But the one thing that everyone seems to be clear on is that this is going to change how coding is done and how coding is like standardized across the board. So my question is, what tools do we love and use that have just fundamentally changed how we do a thing. So many good tools. Screwdrivers, really love those. Hammers. Um, I <laughs> I think that for me, the biggest tool that's changed the way that I do things is probably, well, there are two that come to mind. One is Scrivener, which is an app I use for writing. It's what I use when I write books, and I absolutely love it. I definitely started out like a lot of people writing books and like, or, you know, general things in Word or Pages or way back in the day in Claris Works and Apple Works. And you end up with these gigantic like files because you're trying to fit like multiple hundreds of pages in like one long file. And it's sometimes, especially in, in the before times, things would sort of choke on that. Scrivener lets me like break up everything into chunks and just start to like, 
help me conceptualize what I'm working on in different ways, take notes, export things to ebooks in different formats. It's really great. And then the other one, you know, maybe just for me personally, uh, when I moved from GarageBand to Logic for editing podcasts, it entirely changed the way that I edited podcasts. Do do mainly a couple commands, most notably select all forward, a feature that GarageBand doesn't have, which is hugely useful when you're editing podcasts. So a small change in some ways and, and one that was not necessarily a brand new tool, but it really did change the way that I thought about doing all my podcast editing. Renee? Well, I'm, I'm really hoping that either Copilot or Autopilot comes to Scrivener so I can try to start catching up on Dan Morin's book legacy. Just type hero's journey in the entire thing, you know, sympathetic villain and just have reams of of document filled up for me. But I think the, the biggest change in my personal workflow has been moving to a cinema camera. You know, I started off with video cameras and then DSLRs and micro four thirds and mirrorless cameras. Uh, and it was always multi-step. Like I would film something, I'd have to separately capture audio. Uh, they wouldn't, they were, I was just, I made so many mistakes. They were all my own mistakes, but the equipment didn't really help me not make those mistakes. And now with a cinema camera, you know, the, the XLR microphone is plugged into the camera the camera's got dual gain, so like it's very hard for me to get the exposure wrong. The color, the uh, color balancing is amazing. All these things that I would otherwise either have to spend an enormous amount of time learning how to do and manually doing them, I can just you know tweak a few settings, press a button, do a few tests, and then every day all I have to do now is press one button and everything is captured. And the amount of cognitive load that that takes off of me just my, my lizard brain is now much much happier with production in general nice uh, for me it's going to be keyboard maestro and text expander um, i use those two tools regularly for all sorts of things and without them i would be doing repetitive tasks that take forever or five ever even um, it it's kind of wild how um, you know you start to to complete tasks uh, and realize, hey, maybe there is some way to automate this. Maybe there is some way to kind of speed this up. And over time, I have kind of refined and adjusted and uh, made decisions for different um, keyboard maestro shortcuts and text expander snippets that I use and have uh, called in some friends for help with, with some things that I'm not very good at and in the process have learned more about regular expressions in general and more about coding. So it's kind of wild how uh, my desire for convenience has also led to me learning more about uh, some of the underpinnings of these tools. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I would be say two days in the past if uh, I didn't have uh, these tools. So yeah, I guess I'm a time traveler thanks to Text Expander and Keyboard Maestro. Uh, Jay, why don't you round us out? So all of these are great. And I think I use a few of them myself. Um, Renee, you've you've cost me lots of money now i'm i'm very very upset <laughs> but uh, my tool is actually a new one as well um it's a teleprompter and i have a teleprompter that my dslr which i use as my webcam for the plethora of zoom calls i'm on and now i can actually have my notes and be looking at my notes and actually be looking at the camera at the same time which people have just flat out said wow you're really good at this zoom thing so uh yeah that's a that's a business corporate tip if you're working from home you know a lot and you're on a lot of zoom calls 
All right, we've reached halftime, so let's take a quick break. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Instabug. Building mobile apps presents some challenges. Bugs, crashes, and performance issues can be a nightmare for developers. But what if you could not only detect all these issues, but understand the quality of your app from your user's point of view? Instabug's lightweight SDK grabs all the insights you need to build quality apps through comprehensive bug and crash reports, performance monitoring, and real-time user feedback, all in one SDK. With Instabug, you can continuously monitor and measure the performance of your app as perceived by your users, engage with your users by letting them report issues and questions right from inside your app, get all the information you need about bugs, crashes, and other issues, and fix those issues in record time, all with a focus on privacy and security. And you don't worry about the hassle of switching to a new tool, because it only takes a minute to integrate Instabug into your app, and it fits right within your workflow, with support for Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, Zendesk, or wherever you use to handle issues. Join more than 25,000 top mobile developers around the world who use Instabug to ship high-quality apps. Go to try.instabug.com slash clockwise. That's try.instabug.com slash clockwise. And of course, our thanks to Instabug for their support of this show and Relay FM. Alrighty, Dan, what have you got for us? Decluttering, everybody's favorite thing. Uh, my wife and I are getting ready to move in the next few weeks and, you know, trying to get go through our stuff and get rid of some of the stuff. And what occurs to me is, is there a way that you find technology to be helpful in the process of decluttering or is the technology itself just part of the overall clutter? How do you balance those? How do you deal with them? Renee, I need your tips. Oh, I've got two very distinct feelings on this. One is I feel like a lot of apps, like to-do apps, are really just the gym membership of apps where you get them, you make more work for yourself, and you look at it and you just promptly never do it. But on the other hand, it's done wonders for media. I used, I was that kid who had mountains of DVDs and Blu-rays, shelves and shelves, of books, uh, you know, endless tapes, all of these things. And I still keep my favorites. Like there are books that I will always have a physical copy of. And I probably still have a few Blu-rays and you know, lying around somewhere. But almost all of that has moved to digital. And it's let me reduce the amount of stuff in my place by, I don't want to say it, an infinitude, a multitude, but a good 99.9% .9 of the thing that took up 99.9% of my space is all gone now and just elegantly packaged up in my iPad or my Apple TV. And that's fantastic. I think the only thing would be there are some kind of inventory management apps that are out there that uh, you can use for personal, not inventory so much as just, you know, personal objects that you own and, and keep track of those. And uh, when I moved, I used those to help me figure out what was where and what I had and what was still packed away and uh, to kind of make sure that I didn't lose anything or too much in the move. Um, so those can be helpful in kind of going, oh, yeah, that's nine years old and you have three more of them that you've purchased since then. Maybe you can get rid of that. Uh, Jay, what about you? So when I started this question, I, I thought of my digital clutter. Um, and one thing that I've done recently, which is, I mean, the, the backup people will say I'm blaspheming. Um, I actually don't store any of my long-term storage stuff here at my house. Um, I use Backblaze, but I use their B2 storage to basically take large podcast audio and video data and just push 
all that stuff to Backblaze and let it be their problem. And because I'm using the B2, like, iceberg storage where they have these hard drives that were, like, stored in Antarctica somewhere, uh, it basically cost me about 10 cents a month, which is great when you have, like, a few terabytes of data that needs to be stored and you're never going in there for anything except for that one time a year when you need to go find an audio file from six years ago. Uh, so yeah, I've been using that for the past year or so. And honestly, I now I just automate it using some of those tools that Micah was talking about before that once an audio or video file is a couple weeks old, it just disappears. I find that terrifying, but I, yes, I like the idea. Um, where do all my files go? I do use the Backblaze B2 stuff to back up my stuff on my uh, network to attack, network attached storage device, which is very handy. In terms of other stuff for cluttering, I think, you know, simple one that, that I realized today as we were we were moving stuff away and my wife suggested, oh, we've got all these old, you know, cards, right? Like people send you Christmas cards, whatever, and they got pictures of the family on it. And we're like, well, yeah, I can't keep all of these, but we can just lay them all out and take a picture. And then we have our picture and then we can add it to an album of cards. And it's like, I thought that was a very clever idea on her part. And it's very simple. Right. And like, you know, it kind of goes with the Marie Kondo sort of like take a picture of things and then get rid of them idea. Um, but it does make a great point that like we can store so much of this stuff digitally now. Uh, it's a lot easier than having to have it clutter up your house. doesn't work for everything, obviously. Uh, oh, that USB cable. I'll take a picture of it and remember it always. But it, it is pretty much a thing that you can uh, use to keep track of a lot of stuff and uh, not have to worry about keeping it around and cluttering up your house. But thank you all for your tips. They're much appreciated. I will attempt to put them into practice and probably fail. Uh, let's go to our last topic, which comes from Renee. So I was looking at all the information coming out about the Pegasus spyware network that was exposed over the weekend. Uh, and it doesn't really affect North Americans. It's basically an outsourced uh, signal, signal intelligence service. And we all know America, Russia, China, they all have homegrown stuff that they use. But it did make me think, you know, given especially the nebulous ethics of all the countries when it comes to spying on, you know, people domestic and abroad. And that given our phones are increasingly like external cybernetics, they contain our memories, our our photos, our health information, our financial information, is it time that we start looking at them as an extension of ourselves and maybe start lobbying for rights, like a right to privacy the way you enjoy with uh, a lawyer with your phone, or maybe even a Fifth Amendment for a phone, and maybe a Geneva Convention, the same way it's against chemical warfare, Geneva Convention against malware on our phones. Am I just out to lunch on this, or is that a possibility as these things become more and more capable? There was just the story of the Catholic priest, I believe, um, who uh, a a newsletter, a Catholic newsletter, uh, paid some data brokers to get information about the whereabouts of this priest and was able to determine that this priest had visited uh, gay bars and I can't remember some other places. And uh through that process of outing this priest in this popular Catholic newsletter, uh, it resulted in the priest resigning from their post. Um, I what, what you said about you know external cybernetics. I think that when someone first hears that, there might be a little bit of a huh, that's funny. But at the when you really examine it, it's a thousand percent true um, if you do the math. And because of that, I absolutely believe that there should be more protections there than what we have right now. And that, you know, you, you mentioned like a Geneva Convention on uh, protections for 
folks, um, I think that there should be some uh, parts of, if, if not the whole thing, there should be some parts of, of our data that are not, you know, able to just be accessed willy nilly as we, uh, as somebody wants to, and that it should be more difficult for these things to happen. Um, it's really, uh, it, it's really troublesome to me. The, like, if you climb up the, the ladder and you become a person of interest, suddenly any privacy protections that you think you have kind of fly out the window and you do have to do more. And even if you do do more, uh, there are still opportunities for you to be uh, taken advantage of and to have your data taken away. Just like I can't, you were talking about it yesterday on MacBreak Weekly, but a fiance of some person who was um, important in the global aspect. Yeah, uh, that's awful. That's, you know, that just because you are, uh, you know, tangentially related to the situation to have then your privacy uh, just absolutely thrown aside is is disgraceful. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? So a uh, little known fact before uh, podcasting and stuff, I actually served in the military. Um, I'm a veteran from the United States Marine Corps. Uh, one of the things that when I saw Geneva Convention, uh, it, it immediately took me back to remembering all of these things that are protected by the Geneva Convention that people do anyway. Um, to me, I've always felt like we need to do something beyond having it on a piece of paper that says, hey, y'all don't do that. But I, I think that there is also a level of, of education that has to be provided. And one of the reasons I want to lean towards education over regulation is, I, I see what a lot of companies are doing. And while I don't like them necessarily, uh, a good example being like Google being able to do machine learning on a bunch of anonymized health data. Um, I also understand that the only reason they're able to do that is because we don't have certain ethics laws or certain things that we say, no, you shouldn't do this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have them. I'm just saying we should make sure that we're thinking very, very long and hard about what are the implications and and what are the future innovations that we're going to limit by doing this. And also, in the meantime, how do we educate the end user of these devices that, hey, when you download that app that asks for your contacts... Or when we download that app that says, hey, I need your location data all the time. What is actually possible with that data? Yeah, it's funny when when Jay mentioned, you know, previous, uh, you know, work experiences and stuff like that. I used to work before my whole career in uh, tech journalism. I worked at a small research program at a university that dealt with international humanitarian law, which is essentially the Geneva Conventions. Um, and I, I think I sort of joined Jay in the skepticism that that necessarily is something that will solve our problem. I do think it's a matter of drawing lines. And I, I think, again, Jay pointed out made a really good point there. Like, we have all these companies that do things that are not strictly prohibited. And some of that stuff is, you know, potentially long-term beneficial. Um, and so the question is, where do you draw the line between what is allowed and what is not allowed? And I think for sure, talking about things when it comes to, like, cybercrime, um, I think... I think it would be nice if there were some laws or regulations dealing with treating some of these invasions more like you might treat a physical invasion of space. You know, if somebody breaks into your house and steals your personal documents, that's a crime. 
somebody breaks into your phone and steals your personal information. In most cases, that's probably still a crime, but it, it definitely gets murkier and we definitely aren't equipped as well to handle it, right? Like, given the widespread nature of it, we generally reserve like sort of investigation and enforcement of that to like people who are really high profile. So if the average person like has their data compromised, we kind of shrug and that's not a great response either. So I think education, again, as Jay said, is a great place to start for all of this, but it really does need a bigger overhaul of realizing how much of our lives are digital at this point and how can we make adjustments to not only our society, but also to our laws and regulations to account for the fact that it's, you know, potentially just as serious to have your private information uh, compromised as it is to have your, your property compromised. But it's a brief answer to a very complicated question. Renee, why don't you wrap us up here? Yeah, I mean, I, I got two trains of thought on this. When it comes to just businesses like Google and Facebook, I just think you treat the CEOs exactly like you said. If if they steal data, that's equivalent to grand theft, and the CEOs themselves should go to jail. Or if they have toxic news feeds, that should be the same as toxic dumping, and the CEOs should do actual jail time. But I think it's harder when it comes to governments, you know, especially, well, not even like we, the Snowden revelation showed us that our own, you know, domestic governments are doing things just as egregious, uh, you know, as some of the countries that we traditionally look down on, and. We never had this before. All the laws that we have now, the only place that this information existed was in our brains, in our thoughts. And we've had laws that protect us against self-incrimination and testifying against spouses, you know, spousal privilege, all those sorts of rules. But we've never accounted. We've never had the technology for these devices to contain essentially pretty high granularity duplicates of what's in our brains now, including everywhere we've been, everything that we've done, all our communications. Our laws just don't address it. And I think we will have to get to a point where we start ascribing these devices some of the rights and privileges that we've reserved for human brains up until now. We'll round things out with a bonus topic, but before we get there, I do want to tell you about Tech Talk, a podcast from the folks at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. It's always fun to find a new show to listen to when you have, well, run out of Clockwise episodes, for example. And uh, this can be the next one to add. Tech Talk is the show that talks through HPE news, tech insights, and world-class innovators. Uh, I listened to an episode recently. It was called 5G, The New Frontier. And, uh, you know, when you heard about your phones coming out with 5G, your iPhones in particular with 5G, you may have been going, what all can be done with that? Is that as cool as it sounds? Uh, well, this episode from back in February talks about 5G as kind of the next wave of interesting technology, uh, and especially at the way that uh, the hardware infrastructure needs to match what you can do locally on device. So a really interesting listen. Uh, if you'd like to listen to, you can expect topics like how to tackle issues when it comes to high-performance computing, how cloud data experiences are changing, and supercomputing aboard the internet. National Space Station. Super cool, right? The show takes you straight to the source, interviewing some seriously impressive tech leaders. Previous guests have included Dr. Michael Roberts from ISS US National Lab, Erica Veris Doggett, research scientist at Studio Lab, and Emily Christensen, a master candidate in applied data science at USC. Check out Tech Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Tech Talk now or click the link in the show notes. And of course, our thanks to HPE Tech Talk for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, my bonus topic for you. What game show do you think you could win? Jay? I, I feel really arrogant in saying this, but Taskmaster, because <laughs> I always seem to figure out, like, why don't they just do that? And then someone winds up doing that in the end, and they usually win the challenge. 
Um, probably something trivia related. I'll say Jeopardy, even though Jeopardy has become this entirely different strategic game that I would be bad at. I just want to answer trivia questions as well. Uh, Linus uh, Tech Tips Nay Sebastian's recent non-infringing version of answer in the form of a question. And for me, I would say The Price is Right, uh, because I was obsessed with that show when I was a kid, and uh, I think that I could pull off the enthusiasm required to get picked from the audience, which actually takes place before the show starts. Um, so yeah, don't don't be fooled, but I certainly would try. It's a millennial sick day. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, folks, we have reached the end of this episode. All that's left is to thank our awesome guests, Jay Miller. What a wonderful first episode of Clockwise. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Can't wait for the TikTok to come out. <laughs> and Renee, Richie, thank you so much for joining us. I've been a fan since this was musically. <laughs> <laughs> and Micah, we'll be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.